Hello, and welcome to Disney Rewind, a Disney nostalgia podcast served with a glass of wine. We are your hosts, Adina Winnett and Rachel Seedman. In each episode, we break down a piece of Disney media and pair it perfectly with a glass of wine. Disney Rewind is a member of the Disney Podcast family. Head over to at Disney Podcast family on Instagram to see all the latest episodes and posts from our show and links to other great Disney podcasts. Cheers. Hello. How you doing? I'm pretty good, actually. How are you? I am good, all things considered, with the shittiness of the world. Can't ignore that. No, we cannot. But on a happy note, we're going to Disneyland. (laughs) By the time this episode comes out, we will be in Disneyland. (laughs) And by the the day that we recorded this is when we decided. (laughs) So that's fun. Uh, Quick turnaround here. A little yeah. impromptu. And what movie did we watch this week, Rachel? Ugh, we watched such a wholesome movie this week, which I think was very important for us to have some more wholesome in our life. And we watched Luca. Ugh, it is adorable. It's so freaking cute. And so let's just get into some of the things about this. This movie was directed by Enrico Casarosa, and this was his first feature-length directorial debut. But he also had directed La Luna, which ugh, love that short oh, so much. Such an adorable short. It is. This was written by Jesse Andrews and Mike Jones, and it was based on a story from Enrico Casarosa, Jesse Andrews, and Simon Stevenson. Now, This movie is a little bit unlike any movie that we have ever done on this podcast in the sense that the way that it premiered is very different than any movie ever. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Because uh, this did have a three-day premiere on June 13th until the 16th of 2021 in Italy at the Aquarium of Genoa with a three-day run for a nonprofit organization to raise funds for the largest pediatric hospital in Northern Italy. So oh, it was I love a ch- that. I do too. It was a charity event for three days for the actual premiere. Whereas for the rest of us in the world, we didn't exactly have a premiere. The premiere was from our couches on Disney Plus. Yep. Thanks, COVID. Which is just such a weird thing to like really stop and think about. Again, we've talked about so many movies and there's so many movies that we haven't talked about. This is the first one that didn't exactly have a theatrical premiere. It kind of did for like a week, but that wasn't to the public. That wasn't a national release to theaters. It was first released to the public in on Disney Plus on streaming. Yeah, and that definitely was not the plan for this movie. So our filmmakers, our marketing team really had to pivot to get the word out about this movie. Yes, but the Disney Plus summary for a movie that premiered on Disney Plus was Poo Poo. Okay, (laughs) right? It's awful, and so I am going to read that, but I did write my own, and I I, I like mine a lot. Okay, so yay. Disney Plus says, Join Luca, a young sea monster, as he experiences an unforgettable summer on the Italian Riviera. Period. That tells you nothing! <laughs> that literally tells you nothing in the story at all. It doesn't tell you about Porto Rosso. It doesn't tell you about Alberto no. or Julia. Like, nothing. 
Yeah, so here is my attempt at at least giving a little sprinkle of extra information. Mm. Love a good sprinkle. <laughs> Don't we all? When Luca Pagoro, a young sea monster, meets Alberto Scorfano, he is introduced to a world of Vespas and life beyond the ocean. As the two spend their days on Alberto's island, they decide to go to the mainland to escape Luca getting sent to live in the deep ocean. On land, they team up with Giulia Marcavaldo and work together to beat the bully Ercole in the Portoroso Cup while also hiding their true identities. Let Luca take you back to the long, carefree days of childhood when the bonds of friendship could see you through any challenge. Oh, that is so good. I love that. It just was like, really sweet. Thank you. I pulled a lot, and we're going to talk about, of course, the themes of this movie. I pulled a lot from our director and things that he wanted to have represented, but I just... It, it, you get most of the characters, you get the main yes. characters in this, yes. you understand that they're no longer in the ocean because Disney Plus does not <laughs> indicate that they're no God, longer it in not. the It just says he's a sea monster. Well, okay, living on the... In the ocean. In the deep blue sea. The <laughs> Italian Riviera. Great. Exactly. <laughs> so I just wanted to give a little bit more. I'm very excited to continue to talk about this, but in order to talk about this movie, girl, what are we drinking today? Okay. So obviously I had to go with an Italian wine because, duh. Duh. however, I knew I didn't want to pick any wine that paired well with fish or seafood because giant yikes. Thank you. So I decided on a red wine for us to drink and that is a Sangiovese. Mm -hmm. So this is the Setticelli Sangiovese di Puglia. Oh, the last part literally just means from Puglia. <laughs> It sounds so good, though. Thanks. So Puglia is the boot. Like, if you're looking at Italy, it's the little heely part. There is not a lot about this particular wine on the internet. Honestly, there is more about it on the back of the bottle than there was in my research, so I'm just going to read the back of the bottle here. Okay. Our Setticelli Red is produced in limited quantity from selected Sangiovese grapes coming from Puglia's vineyards. This ruby red Sangiovese is fragrant, fruity, and velvety. Enjoy this wine in all occasions, especially with pasta, pizza, and meat dishes. Serve at room temperature. So let's have a sip. Rachel, cheers. Cheers. Interesting. I like the color quite a bit. Yeah, definitely that ruby red has a very fruity nose. I'm very glad this tastes exactly like what I was expecting. So... I'm quite glad. For us not having really much idea about this wine, because you can only find so much, I am actually right now pretty pleasantly surprised. While there was not a lot about this particular wine, there's quite a bit to say about Sangiovese. And it's pronounced that way. It's not Sangiovese. But yay, new grape alert. Let's talk about it. Yay. Sangiovese is a red Italian wine grape that derives its name from the Latin Sanguis Jovis, which means the blood of Jupiter. Oh. Early theories on the origin of Sangiovese dated the grape to the time of Roman winemaking. It was even postulated that the grape was first cultivated in Tuscany by the Etruscans from wild Vitis vinifera vines. The literal translation, the blood of Jupiter, refers to the Roman god Jupiter. According to legend, the name was coined by monks from the commune of 
Sant'Arcangelo de Romagna in what is now the province of Rimini in the Emilia-Romagna region of east-central Italy. Oh, so, that was a mouthful that you just said right there. <laughs> yes, it was. And I wish I had practiced, but it's fine. It's good. So the first documented mention of Sangiovese was in the 1590 writings of Giovan Vittorio Soderini, also known under the pen name of Sirie Giulio, identifying the grape as Sangioghetto, Soderini notes that in Tuscany, the grape makes very good wine, but if the winemaker is not careful, it risks turning into vinegar. While there is no conclusive proof that this Sangioghetto is Sangiovese, most wine historians generally consider this to be the first historical mention of the grape. Regardless, it would not be until the 18th century that Sangiovese would gain widespread attention throughout Tuscany, being with Malvasia and Trebbiano, the most widely planted grapes in the region. Now, while Sangiovese plantings are found worldwide, the grape's homeland is central Italy. So it is a very, very Italian grape. Hmm. You're, you're not getting many more much more Italian than this. Mm -mm. In Italy, Sangiovese is the most widely planted red grape variety. It is an officially recommended variety in 53 provinces and an authorized planting in an additional 13. It accounts for approximately 10% of all vineyard plantings in Italy. Whoa. Now, 10% doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a lot. That for seems Italy. very significant. Yes, a country that is known for wine. 10% right. of its grapes are Sangiovese. It is the main grape used in the popular red wines of Tuscany, where it is the solitary grape of Brunello de Montalcino and the primary component of the wines of Chianti, Vino Nobile di Montepulciano, and many super Tuscans. This grape is considered the workhorse grape of central mm -hmm. Italy, producing everything from everyday drinking to premium wines in a variety of styles, from red still wines to rosato, which is like a little bit of frizzante, to sweet passito, semi-sparkling, all of the above, even dessert wine. So odds are if you're finding some sort of a red wine in Italy, Sangiovese is in it. So what is it normally going to taste like? Because our bottle did not give us a lot. Primary flavors of Sangiovese offer tart cherry, red plum, strawberry, and fig. I'm definitely getting that plum and mm. cherry for I was sure. going to say cherry. as Before, mm -hmm. I was almost going to say, let me guess before you started to say, because oh, okay. it's very cherry-y. Often, you'll get subtle notes of roasted pepper, tomato, leather, clay, brick, tobacco, smoke, oregano, thyme, dried roses, or potpourri. Is this like a pizza in a wine? Pretty oh. much. That's why this is so good with Italian foods. While this is not a sweet wine at all. No. It is a very dry red wine that is very fruity. But it has a hint of savoriness There's savory. There's mm -hmm. definitely savory. On the nose, you will often get even more interesting notes. Do you smell anything? I don't know if you'll get it. So I feel like, I don't know that this is what you're going to say. I definitely feel okay. like I'm getting pepper. 
Like, okay. Because it, it, there's a spice to this mm-hmm. that I'm getting on the nose, and I feel like it's a pepper. It could be some other type of spice, but I feel like it's pepper, but I feel like that's not what you're going to say. So on a typical Sangiovese, the nose, you're going to get aromas of earth or soil and tea leaves. Tea leaves. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yes. It's such a fascinating grape and there's like nothing else really like it out there. So I was really excited to do this research and I'm very glad that it has some of those tasting notes that you would expect from a Sangiovese. You guys can't see me. I'm just like shoving my (laughs) nose into the glass right now as Adina's talking to like really try and pick up on some things. The wines of Sangiovese grapes are medium to high tannins. I'm not getting a ton of tannins on this wine. No. Very high acidity as well is what you would typically expect. So I don't know if this is your classic Sangiovese because I'm not getting either of those. Yeah. But the tasting notes are definitely there. But in general, Sangiovese wines exhibit some aging potential with brief oak aging being very common and bottle aging lasting for up to a decade for some wines, but a lot of them are also meant to be drunk young. And as I mentioned earlier, these savory flavors in the wine really go well with anything that involves herbs, tomatoes, rich roasted meats, cured sausages, hard cheeses. I was going to say, I made for Valentine's Day spaghetti and turkey meatballs and this would I have made been perfect for a it. tomato sauce this would have been so good like this I could already like taste the complimentary oh, yeah. flavors that that would bring oh yeah and in general Sangiovese goes really well with pizza and pasta mostly of the red sauce variety mm-hmm. now there's not an official Sangiovese day <sighs> I was very sad dang there is a Chianti day and Chianti is mostly Sangiovese grapes, if not entirely Sangiovese grapes. And that is celebrated on the first Friday of September, which this year is September 2nd, the day before Rachel's birthday. Hey. Hey. (laughs) But yes, we are basically drinking a little piece of Italy here as we talk about our Italian movie. This tastes like Italy. The more that you drink it, it really does taste like going to Italy and drinking wine in Italy. Just going to getting a bottle of wine and drinking that. It does. But I think it's time that we talk about this movie. I agree. I am very excited to have this wine while we talk because it's quite nice. So I think this is very apparent to everybody. This movie takes place in the Italian Riviera and it's very heavily inspired by Cinque Terre, which is one of my favorite places on planet Earth. I love that place so much. I have pictures that I will share because it looks like Porto Rosso. It oh, it looks absolutely. identical. It does. It, it seems like Italy. And yes. I'm very glad that it was also made by an Italian director. It was. And so let's talk a little bit about where this story came from. So this is a very personal story to our director. And he says, my best friend, whose name was Alberto, who Mm -hmm. is dedicated to, which I just, it's so amazing. So sweet. It is. My best friend, Alberto, was a bit of a troublemaker. While I was very timid and had a bit of a sheltered life, 
We couldn't have been more different. Alberto pushed me out of my comfort zone and pushed me off many cliffs, metaphorically and not. I probably would <laughs> I probably would not be here if I didn't learn to chase my dreams from him. It's these types of deep friendships that I wanted to talk about in Luca, and that is what is at the heart of this film. That's so sweet. The more that I listen to our director talk about this movie, it warms my heart so much. The amount of quotes that I just have of him talking about why he made this movie was like you last week with our directors of Encanto. Same thing. I just, I could not stop reading quotes about his vision of this movie. Same here. And I think that that is definitely a benefit of doing such recent releases. Totally. Is that they are not, these these interviews that, our directors, filmmakers did are not getting lost in physical archives or whatever. It's so wonderfully and easily accessible to us on the internet. Let's just talk a little bit more about the intent of this movie because I just, it warms my heart. This movie is meant to be a celebration of friendship and a love letter to the summers of our youth, those formative years when you're finding yourself. And that's again, Mm. another quote that we have. And this was really inspired by our director's life, his childhood in Genoa. So we know that Julia is actually living in Genoa and she comes out to Porto Rosso for the summers. This has all been inspired by his life living there and then going out to being in, not Porto Rosso, it's not a real place, but going out to Cinque Terre and just the summers that he had his life. Something that I want to talk about, because I remember this being a big thing when this movie came out, is this movie seems to have an allegory for people in the LGBTQIA plus everybody, the the spectrum of the sexual identity and hiding that and finding who you are and all of this. And I wanted to give a quote from our director about how he hears this theory and what his take on this Mm -hmm. is. He said that this was an unintentional comparison and that his original version for the film was a way to explore time in a child's life before romance. So there's not necessarily an intent to have any romantic undertones in this movie. But he's also welcomed the interpretation after the film's release. He said, while I identify with pronouns he, him, and I am a straight man, the themes of diversity, acceptance, and inclusion in our movie are very dear to my heart. And I just think it's really great to have a director come out. And even if that's not the forefront of what this movie is trying to represent, not say, no, that's not what my movie is, but say, if that's how you see my movie, if this is how you can find acceptance in my movie, then yes, turn that into what you're getting out of it. And it's just, that's so beautiful. It is. So beautiful. Honestly, a an iconic man, oh. Mr. Enrico Casarosa. Cheers to you, sir. Cheers. Mm, With our very Italian wine. It is. I I like can't get over it. I keep sipping like really small sips. It's so different than any other wine we have had on this podcast. It is. We have had a lot of wines on this podcast. (laughs) You know, maybe 40 to be exact, but still, yeah, we've (laughs) had-ish, but it is very different. I do love it. So let's kind of move away from our themes just a little bit we'll continue to touch on it and again one of the big things in this movie are sea monsters yes our artists had to create sea monsters from 
nothing really. And so they have, they studied medieval depictions of sea monsters that appeared on the Carta Marina, which is a Renaissance map dating back to 1539. So cool. It's so cool. I can't (laughs) wait for us to share a picture of this map because you see just these sea monsters on this map and it's from the 1500s. But also, in addition to this map, if you have ever been to Italy, you will see sea monster sculptures everywhere on fountains, on benches, even mosaics in the ground. Like Italy, if you are in the Italian Riviera, if you are on the coast, there are these legends of sea monsters and that is really ingrained in the culture. And I love that they brought that into this movie and that they looked back at Renaissance era maps. So cool. <laughs> it's so cool. And it just, it makes the setting feel real. Again, I I said last week how Casita was a character. And mm-hmm. I think, again, Portoroso is a character in this movie. This village is a character. And it's a very real character that yes. it's just a bustling town. It's a small town, but it's very, there's a lot happening in there's this town. There's a lot happening. Everyone knows each other. There's this big event happening. Yeah. So I have a quote here from our art director, Deanna Marsalese, whom there's a character named after her, Senora Marsalese. She's the one who leads the contest. Love it. Love. Her take on the sea monster designs. I really wanted these designs to be unique, a departure from their medieval depictions. However, I also wanted to stay true to their decorative origins. You'll notice beautiful, irregular scale patterns as if carved by hand. You'll see different kinds of facial fins, scalloped crests, sharp spines and webbing, and curly cues within the tails. And as our sea monsters age, these features only grow bigger and bolder. They're beautiful creatures and combined with their iridescence and gorgeous colors could pass for pieces of costume jewelry. Ugh. Mm. Oh, so good. It's so good. And it it just shows how much thought went into creating these sea monsters. And these are not cookie cutter. Like we're we're out of the Xerox days of Disney. I know this is Pixar, but we are out of the Xerox days. Long gone. Not that it wasn't beautiful back then, but seeing what our animators, our artists are able to create now with today's technology is unbelievable. Yes. So with this, they didn't, of course, you know, have references to pull from. And so they pulled a reference. We know Disney and Pixar love to look at actual animals as reference to get as close to the real thing as possible. No seal monsters. But what we do have are saltwater iguanas. Oh, and so so good. (laughs) Our animation supervisor, Michael Venturini, says... We looked at how their tails move when they swim. Iguanas use their tails in a left-right pattern and not an up-down pattern like a dolphin, while their arms and legs drag behind while they swim. And so that's what our sea monsters look like when they're swimming. They don't look like a mammal that's swimming through the ocean. We'll, We'll share, of course, some pictures of these cute little saltwater iguanas. But yeah, saltwater iguanas don't move their arms and legs, and they just use their little tail as a rudder which looks so similar to how they depicted our sea monsters. They also don't wear clothing. No. So our filmmakers had to figure out how to dress these sea monsters yes. in a way that fit their environment. So according to our simulation supervisor, Henry Garcia, his team worked closely with the characters department to get it right. Quote, 
the sea monsters make their clothing out of seaweed, which I love. So it's like woven kelp with almost fringe-like bits all over that move as they float and swim. We actually have to move it around. So there are a lot of wind fields and other methods to push and pull the cloth to get that tidal sway you'd expect underwater. Nothing is ever static. Everything is alive and moving, and it takes a lot of effort to make sure it feels right and isn't distracting. Oh, yes. And mm. I it, it was so well done. It is really it, – it's a small thing. Like you're not actively thinking about the clothes no. that they're wearing, but you're not actively thinking about it because it just looks so natural as part of them. Yes. Brilliant, honestly. One final thing for me just about, again, continuing to talk about sea monsters, and it continues to just – be quotes from our director because you can tell how much this movie is so near and dear to his heart. So he says they were a metaphor for feeling different. So the choice to use sea monsters were because they represent a metaphor of feeling different. We are also a bit of outsiders. So it felt right to use sea monsters to express the idea that we all feel a little different and not cool as kids. Just it's so precious. It's so precious. Oh. He is so precious in everything he says about this movie that like it just warms your heart. And it's like, I just want to root for him to do more movies. Yes, please. <laughs> it's so wholesome. Yeah. Like I said in my summary, it takes you back to those carefree days of childhood where you just could have friendships where, that are built on the fact that you both like one specific thing. Yes. Nothing else in common but one thing, and so you're friends because of that. That's so cool. That is so pure. We we lose that as we grow up, and it just is a really nice reminder in this movie to kind of remember those really nice, beautiful days. Definitely. Speaking of nice, beautiful days, in the lovely country of Italy where our movie takes place, a lot of the things that are mentioned in this movie actually are real. Yes. So that's fun. So Alberto's last name, Scorfano, is Italian for scorpion fish. Hmm. It is commonly used to indicate that a person is not good looking. Mm. I know. So oh, sad. no. <laughs> I know. It's really sad. When Alberto and Luca meet each other, Alberto says the phrase piacere girolamo trombetta. And this is a joke that was popular among young kids in Italy. It literally translates into nice to meet you. My name is small trombone. <laughs> <laughs> so the joke consists in grabbing another kid's hand as in a handshake and move it forward and backward as if it was the hand slide of a trombone. A trombone. Trombetta also means fart. In Italian. <laughs> so I am a may- child. That makes me laugh. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So this would be hysterical to Italian children. <laughs> They're saying the word fart in this movie. <laughs> Very funny. The favorite pasta dish in the Marcovaldo house is Trenete al pesto. This mm-hmm. is the flagship dish of Genoa, where Enrico Casarosa comes from. Trenete is a kind of flat spaghetti noodle. Mm-hmm. And pesto is a sauce made from basil, pine nuts, Parmesan mm. cheese, olive oil, deliciousness. Mm. You may have missed it. There is a little Donald Duck plush toy that can be seen in Julia's room. Sir Donald Duck is extremely popular in Italy. 
perhaps more popular than Mr. Mickey Mouse. <gasps> what? Fascinating. Scandal. Then we have Porto Rosso, the town where this takes place, literally means red port in Italian. And you can see all of the red roofs on the villas. And you have a lot of children throughout this movie, in addition to our main three. All of the background voices are voiced by local children in Italy. Ugh. Too fresh. So cute. We are literally a long way from old Disney movies that would just use a whole bunch of like white kids in America from California to like make all of these voices in the background of a movie taking place in Italy. That is really great. I mean, while this is a movie that takes place in Italy, it's not a movie about Italian culture. No. So I don't really have a problem with our actors not being voiced by Italian people. So that leads me into our actor fans. Oh my gosh, no, I'm sorry. You forgot somebody's name. You forgot what somebody's name means. It's super important. Oh, okay. Luca's last name. You didn't say what that means. Luca's last name is Paguro, which is Italian for hermit crab. So Luca is his little hermit self, and it's the cutest little thing ever. I wish you guys could all see the face I'm making that is just like... I cannot contain how cute this is. It was so cute. But now you can get into our after facts. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Speaking of super, super cute, I'm going to start with little Jacob Tremblay as mm. Luca. So, so cute. I have a lot of great quotes from him and about him. Oh, good. When asked if there's a message that you want people to take away from watching this film, Jacob Tremblay has said, the biggest message in this movie would just be don't be afraid to try new things. And if that's not the most precious thing you've ever heard from a little child. Oh, that's so sweet. He goes on to say about the relationship between Luca and Alberto. This movie is going to bring back a lot of memories when people watch this. And I'm hoping that when people watch this, they'll be able to forget about COVID. It's so cool I get to be part of someone else's childhood. I think especially now the story is really special because for me, I haven't really been able to see my friends because of COVID, of course, and this movie is all about friendship. So when people see it in theaters, I hope they'll be able to remember hanging out with friends during summer vacation and just having a blast. I am crying. I am crying as well. <laughs> You're kidding me. <laughs> this is his first time working on an animated feature. And Enrico Casarosa has said that working with him was such a pleasure. I love how earnest and innocent he is naturally. And he's playful and he's not afraid to try stuff. So it was so much fun to improvise with him. He's actually one of the few actors we had time to work with before the pandemic. Wow. Like what a high honor to have the director say things like that about you and just like he he really delivered on this role. He is so believable. He's so pure. It's amazing. It's so clear that he's just like a little 10, 12-year-old boy. Somewhere in that realm of not hitting adolescence yet, still a pure child. And Jacob really embodies that. To that fact, guys, in the movie, when he eats his first plate of pasta, he unleashes a large burp and Jacob was really happy to perform this sound effect 
as burping on command is apparently a special skill of his. Jacob! <laughs> I know! Jacob! That's so cute! Mommy! Mommy! I love him so much! Well, but like, that, that's it. That's like what this movie represents. It's going back to the day when like, you could burp on command and it was like the funny thing that you do to your friends and be like, I can burp on command. Am I saying that I'm a disgusting person? Maybe. But like, uh, it was so no, cute. No, pure so childhood perfect. innocence. And yes. I, I love it. So let us move on to our other main boy here, Mr. Jack Dylan Grazer as Alberto. This is also his first animated film. Again, as we know, this was recorded mostly through COVID. Mm -hmm. So he performed his vocal tracks inside of his house. And the only room that provided the acoustics he needed was his mother's closet. So all of his lines are recorded in his mother's closet. A- that's adorable. B, he's not wrong. If you want good recording quality people, record in a closet. Just saying. So let's move on. We have two major comedians as Luca's parents. Oh my we gosh, yes. have Maya Rudolph as Daniela and Jim Gaffigan as Lorenzo. So good. So good. And... Jim Gaffigan has said that getting cast in a Pixar movie, or really any Disney movie, but this one in particular, finally made him cool in the eyes of his children. <laughs> that seems like something he would say. Like, I it does seem like something he would that. say. I know. Next up, we have someone who I did not realize was in this movie until I looked at the credits, and I was like, oh, that makes sense. Sasha Baron Cohen as Uncle Ugo. Yes. Like, I couldn't place him. And that is because... He is so good at accents and oh disguising his voice. Yes. So good. Our editor, Catherine Apple, has said about Sasha Baron Cohen's improvising that it would change the whole scene, really. <laughs> she said, he wanted to try a bunch of approaches to see which one worked, but it was hard to decide which way to go, and the scene got a little bigger once he recorded. Love, love that. that. <laughs> a couple other little... Sprinkles. We have Peter Sohn as Chichio, who is one of the goons. Mm -hmm. Peter directed Pixar's The Good Dinosaur, so he gets a little fun little nod in there. Mm -hmm. Another fun little nod goes to our director, Enrico Casarosa. Yes. He provides the voice of the winning card player in Puerto Rosso, who shouts, Scopa. Mm -hmm. And he is also the fisherman in the boat who yells to his speeding boat, What's wrong with you, stupido? <laughs> Now, my one lack of actor fact? This was my note. This was my note that said, if Adina doesn't say this, make sure it gets said. How could I not say this? Just making sure. For some unknown reason. Oh, I have a known is, reason. You have a known reason? Go ahead. Say. Okay, let me say the fact and then Rachel's going to go. Guys, John Ratzenberger is not in this movie. Yes. I didn't find the reason. Apparently, Rachel did, and I'm really excited about it. <laughs> so, this is his second Pixar film to not be in. He was not in Soul either. Oh, yeah, you're right. Or, sorry, he was not credited in Soul, and this was the first one he was not in, period. And our director said that he was not included in the film, citing his and the company. Pixar's desire to start some new traditions, including one where director Peter Sohn would appear in every Pixar film. 
So a new generation Mm. of filmmakers telling original stories and music will be composed by other composers. So they are wanting to start. There's a line that has basically been drawn with Soul that this is kind of a new generation of Pixar directors. They're bringing in new people to do the music, which there is. I do want to give a shout out to the person who did our music, which was Dan Romer. He did the music. He had not Phenomenal been doing job. Pixar music before. He did a great, great Phenomenal. job. But they want to bring in new t- composers. They want to bring in new kind of cameo people into their movies. So it was a decision not only made by him, but Pixar as well. That is fascinating. Yeah. Slightly upsetting. I don't know how I, I feel love, about it. No, I'm upset about it, honestly. I love John Ratzenberger. I love finding the character that is voiced by John Ratzenberger in every single Pixar movie. So I think what they just said is that he's not going to be in anymore. I Yes, and I'm sad about it and upset and confused and I want to have a word with some people. Does Peter Sohn have that like distinct of a voice no. that I'll be able to be like, that's Peter Sohn, no. that's Peter Sohn. Yeah, I don't no. know. I When I read that, I was just like, interesting i'm glad that they said something though okay i have one more thing that i want to say so the last thing that i just want to say is something that's very near and dear to my heart that i think you guys know because i've brought it up periodically throughout this podcast is how much i love studio ghibli movies Mm. and this movie is highly highly influenced by miyazaki's work and so our, totally. our it's it's really, it's very evident even as someone who is not as huge of a studio ghibli fan as you it's yes. evident to me it's it's very evident i just kind of want to sum up some of the things that our art director has said and so he was acknowledging that this is basically pixar's take on a studio ghibli movie on a miyazaki story that he wanted to bring in elements i think a really big way that you can see the correlation of miyazaki and anime in general into this movie is mouth shape that their mouths are all very very exaggerated Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so sure It's meant to illustrate the character's emotion. So this is just a different way of representing the emotion that we have. And if you look at stills of this movie, you just see these giant smiles. They're huge. And that's meant to look like anime, specifically look like Miyazaki. There's a couple of just like similarities also. First and foremost to the 1992 Miyazaki movie of Porco Rosso which is a great, great movie. And so you have Porco Rosso and you have Porto Rosso. Of course, there has to be a nod, a very obvious nod intentionally done. Oh, 100%. That was intentional. And then the last thing that I just kind of wanted to say on this, I don't want to go too much. We'll save it for some other time because I could talk for a long time about the comparisons. But Miyazaki's films and this as well to an extent embodies it as well are meant to feel like these broad epic sweeping films but they're about something that's really just like a slice of life it's Mm -hmm. not a huge epic story in fact it's a pretty small little story that people go through and that's what this is doing in this movie as well you have this big movie you have this big story these big bullies what's going to happen how are we going to play out all of this everyone is exaggerated and yet it's just representing 
being a kid in summer and making a new friend and having that friend just be your whole world. And Mm. I just love that those comparisons exist. Again, as someone who loves Kiki's delivery service takes place in a similar area. It's my favorite of all the movies that he's ever done. It's just so great. It's so good. It's so good. And it's it's very similar of this kind of coming of age where it's not about romance. It's about you finding yourself and you do that through your friendships. And it's just so beautiful to see. So I I could not talk about this movie and not talk about the tie-ins to Studio Ghibli. Okay. So I did a brief history of Vespas. Stop. No. (laughs) I you know my history of Vespa's Shut too. the fuck up. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> I of course you did because it is the only real brand name I think that has ever appeared like in any movie we've talked about. That's very true. I don't even know if that's why I thought to do this. I've just always thought to do this because I've always wanted a Vespa. My dream (laughs) is to have a pink Vespa. Can you imagine me in San Luis Obispo on a little pink Vespa? Yeah. Yes. Little pink helmet. Coming back from farmer's market with your little basket. Yes, absolutely. That's going to be me one day. (laughs) But it's funny because Vespa didn't actually come on board to this movie until after oh I did not know that thank god they did because our our creators really wanted to use the word Vespa rather than just scooter because it was something of the time period and specifically in Italy yes and as you just said this movie takes place in 1959 specifically which really is kind of the heyday of the Vespas. This is not when they're brand new. This is not when they're kind of fading into obscurity. This is this is Vespa Central in Italy. Yes. The company, Piaggio, who created the Vespa, actually did not start out as a scooter making company. After mm-hmm. World War II, in light of its agreement to cease war activities with the Allies, Italy had its aircraft industry severely restricted in both capability and capacity. So Piaggio emerged from this conflict with its Pontadera bomber plane plant demolished by bombing. With Italy's crippling economy, the disastrous state of its road, no one was looking to get into the automobile market. So Enrico Piaggio, the son of Piaggio's founder, decided to leave the aeronautical field in order to address Italy's urgent need for a more modern and affordable mode of transportation for the masses. And that is how we get to 1946, April 1946, where a patent was filed for the Vespa scooter design. And so Vespas really hit their biggest surge. They were growing steadily year over year after their patent had been submitted. They'd been starting to sell. It's been doing okay. But they hit their biggest surge in the 1950s, specifically in 1952, because of one very iconic, I'm taking a drink to this, iconic scene in a movie. So drink before I say what it is. But it was... Audrey Hepburn, side-saddling Gregory Peck's Vespa in Roman Holiday. This scene 
caused a surge of over 100,000 sales of the Vespa. And by the 60s, the Vespa, which again was originally conceived as a utility vehicle because literally no cars could be driven on roads in Italy. Mm -hmm. It had come to symbolize freedom and imagination, which is really what the boys in this movie are looking for. Yes. This freedom. So that is why the Vespa is so important to this movie and why it was so important to our filmmakers to use the word Vespa and not just a scooter. Absolutely. So one more time, I think for Vespas, I think we got a drink because they are iconic. They are indeed iconic. Cheers to the Vespa. Mm-hmm. And you know what? A big cheers to our patrons. First up, we have Chapter 3 Adventures. As well as Clocky McDowell. Thank you for joining us. Bye-bye. And we'll be right back. We are back. Our glasses are filled with this surprisingly savory wine. Well, not surprisingly, but delightfully savory wine. And so it is time to get into our movie. And this movie starts with special music during our opening sequence, which is always just nice when we get something a little different during our opening Walt Disney Pictures. I love it. We are like smack dab on the Mediterranean Sea on on an Italian fishing boat trip. These yeah. two men have set up to try to find the best fishing spot. Which is like the most typical fisherman thing ever. They have a little gramophone. But one of our fishermen of our duo is stating how he's a little worried if we should actually be fishing over here because we're getting a little too close to an island where there's been known to be sea monsters. Which I think just really sets the tone very, very nicely with that opening. It does. My next note is, Dear Alberto, please be more careful. Sincerely, me. Right? (laughs) He is just grabbing little trinkets, which I get it. We all have our own little collections of who's it's and what's it's galore. Thingamobs. I've got 20. Obviously, he's being a little too clumsy here. And then he jumps over the boat. Yeah, Alberto, friend, the whole point is to not get killed. And to not get killed, you got to be a little sneaky. A little sneaky. knowing... Alberto's backstory gives me a lot more, well, a lot of sympathy for him, obviously, but more sympathy in that he didn't have an adult to tell him, hey, we need to be careful around the land monsters. So we meet Luca. We do. And his little goatfish. (laughs) Okay. Okay. The goatfish are hysterical. They are. But what is their purpose? (laughs) I understand the purpose of land goats and sheep and shepherds it seems like they're doing the same thing they're grazing they're keeping the like seaweed at bay so it doesn't get too like unruly and probably so it doesn't like attract fishermen to that area thinking that there's like oh there's going to be fish here because they're hiding in the seaweed is my guess i'm really extrapolating Uh, here okay they keep it it grazed you know what i appreciate that answer I am so immediately taken by the colors and the details put into every single frame of this movie. Visually, this movie is 
stunning. There were absolutely times that made me think about Finding Nemo, and we had talked mm-hmm. about that and mm-hmm. how they pushed it too much and it was too real for the time that they had to like tone it back. I think we are now at a time that it's okay to be real. And it was very real at times that it was it was breathtaking. But we've done Gorgeous. many, many ocean movies now. So many. <laughs> we've done a lot. To see the progression of the ocean has been very, very cool to see. Now we see Luca. He's out with the goat fish and he sees his eye gets gets a little glimmer of alarm clock and then a playing card and then a wrench and then the gramophone. Mm -hmm. But he's seeing all of these human things that presumably he has never seen before. He doesn't know what they are. No, but he knows that it's not something that belongs because he's never seen it before. This first scene that we get of Luca with his goatfish is such a very good representation of who this character is. You know mm-hmm. immediately that Luca is sensitive, Luca is caring, and Luca is timid of anything that could be scary. Like you you really get all of Luca's character in this first scene of him and I think that's a really good job so that you care about him like you immediately care about Luca Luca and the goatfish head back and we meet the Paguros yes now Maya Rudolph is talking about her friend Mrs. Bronzino not her friend no and they're talking about a crab show (laughs) and honestly I want a side movie of what happens under the sea But anyway, I write next, there is no better way to get a child interested in something than telling him that it is forbidden. Yeah, I think that's not exactly the right parenting technique. Not that I'm a good parent that knows what to do. I just don't think that's the way you should be doing it. It's not. The way that should be done is what Grandma Pagora is is doing. They're saying like, yeah, I've been to the surface. I beat him at cards. Beat, beat a guy at cards. My next little note was that after the conversation, Luca goes back out and finds more treasures. Cute little Ariel that he is. <laughs> <laughs> but as he's down and he's like looking at all of this, all of a sudden what appears to be somebody in very old school scuba gear is walking on towards him. Scared the shit out of me. I was like, oh my God, is he going to be taken? Immediately. Is this what's happening here? This is a Finding Nemo situation. They are taking him to the Mm -hmm. surface. But no, it's not that movie. It's just Alberto. And he's like, I came to get my stuff. So he grabs all the human stuff from Luca and just casually goes up to the surface. And Luca's like, what? And then Alberto, using Luca's own shepherd's crook against him, pulls him ashore. Ugh. Alberto is the friend that everybody needs. Yes. I am not that person. Like, I am not. I'm the Luca. I will always be the Luca. <laughs> everybody needs an Alberto to just grab him and say, we're doing this thing. Come on. It's not that scary. Let's do it. I don't know if you also read this, but I read that the transformation scene was inspired by Mystique from X-Men. And our director confirmed that. Oh, I see that 100%. I will say the transformation, again, going back to you have to design sea monsters that don't exist. You have to design Mm -hmm, how mm -hmm. they wear clothes. You have to design this transition as well. 
And I think it's done really, really well. It's very believable. Yes, absolutely. And I didn't mention this earlier, but when it went into animation, Luca's sea creature form has exactly 3,436 scales on his body. But Luca changes and... Basically, it really freaks him the fuck out of, of course. seeing himself now as a human form, which is reasonable, I think. Of course. But Alberto's like, oh, yeah, I've been living up here for years with my dad. You've never been to the surface? Ugh. And like looking back, knowing what we know now is just Ugh. like horrible. It's really horrible. We get to learn how to walk. Which I just... Oh my god, hysterical. Love Alberto trying to teach Luca how to walk. And Luca just not getting it at it's all. And then it's just falling and then you catch funny. yourself. Funny. Falling yeah. and you catch Which, yourself. I mean, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Question mark? I, mean, I, I guess I just haven't thought about the fundamentals of walking. The mechanics of walking? Yeah. But Alberto teaching Luca about gravity terrified the shit out of me. Seriously. Oh, gravity, take me. Oh, gosh. So many times in this movie would these children have died. Oh, especially once we start getting to our Vespa, which we're about to learn about. Like, that scared the shit out of me. But I just, I love how accurate of a representation their friendship is of a typical childhood friendship. Oh, yeah. But... As Luca is learning about so many different things from Alberto, he gets distracted by a poster on a wall. And he, which we all know, everyone who has seen this knows it's a Vespa, but Luca has no idea what this is. No, it's only the coolest thing to ever be invented. I mean, is he wrong? Who's to say? I think it's pretty cool. (laughs) They're pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. Luca goes, you know, you have all the parts. Let's build one. (laughs) Sweet baby Luca. (laughs) I'm glad that they realized it wasn't a real Vespa and they're just like, yeah, I want to be like at the end, they're like, want to be great once we have our own Vespa. We then have a fun little montage of Luca learning to be a human from Alberto. But then it is time for Luca to join Alberto on a test ride of the Vespa. Oh my goodness. And here is where we get our, another iconic Very. Silencio Bruno. Which is, again, <laughs> this idea that, like, you, everybody has that little voice in their head all the time, especially telling you don't get on the janky ass Vespa that you just created. But, yeah, like, at that point, listen to Bruno. <laughs> listen to Bruno. <laughs> Talk about Bruno. Talk oh, wait, about wrong it. movie. <laughs> but I just love, because, like, when you're a kid, you always have, again, there's that friend who's like, don't listen to that voice in your head. Just do it. Let's just do this thing. And it, I, this just movie just brings up, like, a lot of memories of, like, my childhood. And I can't just help but think about, like, specific people in my life when I watch this movie. But I think it also brings to light this idea of the voices in your head telling you you're not good enough to do something speaking like I've struggled with depression and anxiety and you know there's a lot of getting real real here you know oftentimes there's this voice in my head as I'm sure there are a lot of people's heads saying you know you're not good enough to do something you know you Mm -hmm. can't do this thing Mm -hmm. and 
as a child, it's so easy to just go, yeah, silence it. And I I love that this is kind of being brought to light here of, you know, friendship is such an important thing. That is something that I personally took from this movie and I really loved it. And I think that's also kind of the point of this movie is that you're going to take what you've learned in your life that you've experienced in your childhood that you've experienced in your adult life and that what however you interpret this movie is kind of how he says like I had an idea of what I wanted this movie to be but how you see this movie how you hear this movie that's what matters more I love that who do we think came up with the name Bruno first (laughs) this is older than either of these movies because Cinderella tells Bruno to start stop fucking with Lucifer <laughs> all the way back and fucking Yo. Cinderella and it was Lucifer messing with Bruno what is Disney's obsession with the name Bruno like seriously find some new names Bruno's of the world come to us let us know how you feel about all of this in Disney like there's not a single Adina or a single Rachel, but there's three Brunos. What are we doing right now? <laughs> so after they have Silencio Brunod, the voice in Luca's head, they go down the cliff, up the ramp, and are about to crash. But Luca has the very good sense to kick separate Alberto away, and then they're fine. Thankfully, somehow, miraculously. Yeah. But then it is nighttime, and Alberto is telling Luca about the fish in the sky and how they're all protected by the one really big fish. And of course it's true. That's what his dad told him. Yeah, it's anchovies. They're anchovies Anchovies. up there. And it's just so simple, and it's it's so wrong, but so simple. (laughs) And then we get our first dream sequence. Of the two of them on their Vespa riding into the sky of fish. Ugh. This music, though, throughout this movie, again, I I gave our composer just a very brief acknowledgement. I have been singing and humming and whistling the music in this movie all week since watching this. It is so good. And, like, it's subtly good. It's not... Like it, it's not hitting you in the face. It's not a soundtrack. No. It is no. a beautiful score. Yes. I really, really, really love the score of this movie a lot. And I, if you haven't listened to it outside of the movie, I encourage you to go find it on Spotify or wherever you listen to stuff. So Luca has fallen asleep and wakes up and goes, basically, oh shit, I need to go back home. I'm just going to ask you, have you ever done that? Like when you were a kid, did you ever have a curfew? And did you ever hang out with a friend too late, fall asleep and wake up at like three in the morning and realize like, oh shit, I was supposed to have been home already? No. Oh, I did. (laughs) (laughs) I I was always home. (laughs) I fell asleep one time. It was after prom and (laughs) I did not get home when I said I was going to get home and I woke up. At like three in the morning, it was just like, oh, no. You know, I never had a curfew. Interesting. Yeah. Like I, my, my parents were just like, okay, like come home. And it's not like, first of all, I was not a popular person. So it's not like I was getting up to much mischief or anything. (laughs) (laughs) And if I knew I was going to stay out, I would call my parents. Hi, I'm sleeping at Melissa's house. (laughs) 
that's the extent. <laughs> I'll be like, okay, see you tomorrow. <laughs> I'm biting my tongue. <laughs> yep, I know. So Luca gets caught by his parents who yep. I felt this in my core. No, oh. I felt all of this in my core. <laughs> it was so much of an overreaction because now they're going to send him down to live down into the deep waters with uncle ugo yeah uncle ugo man yikes but that's neither here nor there because luca is not going to the deep Mm -hmm. no he is not he runs away or swims away swims away (laughs) grandma lets him do it because she's the cool grandma now the boys are off to puerto rosso yeah, I can only say it's Cinque Terra. I can only see. I know it's Puerto Rosso, but it's Cinque Terra. The score as the boys are swimming there. It's just chef's kiss. Fantastic. We are we are there and they are adapting. They're trying to blend in as humans. Mm-hmm. How does that go? Poorly. Very, very. It goes very poorly. Yeah. They say... To several people, what's wrong with you, stupido? Can I just say how tolerant <laughs> these adults are to like these just God random kids being like, what's wrong with you, stupido? But they tried gelato for the first time. And Ugh. of course they love gelato. Who doesn't? People who are wrong. <laughs> That's true. Then we meet Senor, Senor Vespa himself, <laughs> Hercule, who is the worst. <laughs> Hercule is like literally one of the worst characters that we've ever had. He is a 20-something-year-old man who is terrorizing a bunch of children. Yes. Why do the adults let this happen? Well, the thing is they definitely seem annoyed with him. They seem annoyed, but they don't stop him literally terrorizing children. No, they do not. Julia comes to the rescue and Julia's like, oh, are you here for the Potoroso Cup? Which is a traditional Italian triathlon. Is this a real thing? I almost looked into this as someone who's like aware of triathlons and everything. Like why replace the running with pasta? I'm not against this TBH. Like you want to replace- If it is a, if it is a, three-person race, sign me up for the pasta-eating portion. I'll do the swimming. (laughs) Great! (laughs) And Ian can do the bike riding when we're done. Actually, that would work out perfectly. Great. So we get our first instance of Julia saying Santa and then some sort of a cheese. cheese. Which I love. I love that runner. It's It's so so cute. It's such a like great again. It's just a child thing mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. Santa Mozzarella, Santa Ricotta, Santa Gorgonzola, whatever the cheese you want to use. Amazing. It doesn't matter. It sounds good every single time. I love it so much. So the boys are asking, like, "Hey, what is this cup? What do we win? Can we win a Vespa? Oh, we win money to buy the buy Vespa? a Vespa. Oh, great! Right? We're on your team. Yeah, we'll do it." We will do it. And then (laughs) Julia invites the boys over for dinner. And we meet Massimo, one of my favorite Disney dads. (laughs) He is very much up there as a great Disney dad. Great Disney dad. I don't know if you noticed that there is like a family 
picture of him with his wife and like clearly this was not an amicable divorce or he let her go because he loved her so much which ah how can you divorce Massimo he's just a sweet little fisherman and he just loves his daughter so much and he's here's here's like the painting that I have in my head okay that his life is to be a fisherman and selfish and she wanted a little bit more Mm. Uh, Genoa is a kind of big city. I think it's the sixth largest city in Italy. Like, it's a big place. Like, you mm-hmm. can have a lot of opportunities there. I don't know how many opportunities there are for fishermen. So I think he wanted to stay true to who he was, but he also recognized that she wanted to go do something else. And that's, that is the, that is what I have told myself that I don't even know that they're divorced. I think they're just living in different places because I love him so much. I want him to be happy. And his cat, Machiavelli, is like so good. So good uh, for a cat. The cat. The cat that immediately sees the boys transform into the sea monsters. Cats will see you for what you truly are very fast. There you go. Um, but this is when we are introduced to our delicacy, the Italian specialty, Trento al Pesto, which mm, I could use a bowl of that. that sounds right good. now. <laughs> I think we need to add that to our Disney dishes feast that we're going to make. I was going to say, uh, before we go to Disneyland, should we have some pasta that we make? Maybe. Not <laughs> opposed mm. to that whatsoever. Um, <laughs> So Julia is asking her dad um, for money to enter the Porto Rosso Cup. And he's like, well, money is really tight and there's not enough fish. And the boys go, oh, we know tons of fish. (laughs) We'll help you. Uh, 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 um, But now the Paguros have come ashore to find Luca and they're talking to each other like, were we too harsh on him? Like, I don't know. What- yes. Yes. The answer is yes. Yes. You yes. were. You were. And they're just terrorizing the town trying to find their son. I think it's adorable that they oh, figured it's hysterical. out. Like, oh, wait. I can whack these kids right on into a fountain and I'll find uh, out really quickly. Great. Let's play some soccer. Yeah. He finds a little spray bottle later. So good. So good. That's a hilarious little side story that, mm, so good. Yeah. But now, Luca and Alberto are going fishing with Massimo. <laughs> and oy vey, is all I have to say in the beginning. <laughs> this damn cat that gets flung into the ocean. He's then given a little fish and he comes down, warms up to the boys. Great. But then Massimo goes, oh, the fish aren't biting today. And the boys go, well, that's because you're above a haunted fish graveyard. Well, we know it's not haunted, but the fish think it is. (laughs) I love children. I I love it. love children because children say shit like that. And it's so fucking cute. So good. Um, But then they come back with... A mountain of fish. All of the fish. All of the fish. So, so good. So that allows the trio to go sign themselves up as a team. Yeah. And I just love the sick burn that Luca gives to Ercole. 
of oh my god, like him a catfish. Ah, uh, so good. You look like a catfish. They're bottom feeders, and they also have two sad little whiskers. <laughs> Stick burn, man. So good, so good. But yeah, Senora Marcilese, do not let Hercules sign up for this race anymore. Right? Why are you letting him? Is it because his like team members are kids? Ask for his birth year. Oh, I'm and 16. he will certainly. He will no. Say what year were you born? He will most certainly screw it up. Most likely. Yeah. But now we get a hilarious montage of the boys learning their new skills and the Paguros trying to find Luca among the children. And it's so good. But then it is time for Luca to really learn what goes on in the world because he talks about the fish in the sky and Julia goes, no, those are stars. Let me show you. And shows him the telescope, her astronomy book, and his love of learning is, oh, it's just so pure and precious. I wrote at this point, so this was my second time watching this movie, and I said, now I remember why I really loved this movie. It's a combination of Italy the ocean, and space. Three things that I absolutely adore. I adore learning about all three of those things. I can only visit two of them. I can't visit the third. But I anything that I can do with these three things always just brings me joy. And you get all three of them in one movie. And it's, it is so pure. And Luca just... It's not that he is upset that like Alberto told him false information. It's that like, wait, he's excited to learn something new. Yeah. And what a wonderful way to see the world that, wow, look at this new thing I'm learning. And I just love that. And so that, that childlike wonderment of discovering new things. It's, it's captured and shown so well in this movie. But Alberto is not super psyched about before Luca's. That. Before this. I just also, oh, in yes. this scene, have to like call out because. Of course. I apologize. Here it we- is. Pinocchio. Yes. Our northern Italian story that we already discussed. <laughs> that I thought was German. What? It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. But yes, we get a cute little animation in our second dream sequence of Pinocchio, Gideon, and Little John. Yeah. And then it zooms back out to a storybook. Yes. But now, Julia and Luca are bonding. Alberto is not happy about it. And look, you you can you can share friends. It's okay. But I understand Alberto's apprehension here. Well, you yeah, know, he's going to get only, abandoned again. He's going to get abandoned again. Exactly. So we get another training slash fishing montage. Yeah. And the boys are tired. So <laughs> Julia gives them espresso. Oi. <laughs> Yikes. And that's why coffee's for grownups. <laughs> Call back. But then Luca has, he's learning how to bike ride up the hill. But then it's time for... The downhill. The downhill. Or as they say in Brink, the downhill. (laughs) 
callback. <laughs> Big callback right Huge there. Huge callback. Ooh, 38 episodes ago. Oof. I know. We've been doing this a while. So Alberto hops board. He's like, don't worry. Like, we'll do this together like we did on the island. And they crash into the ocean. Fortunately, they're sea monsters, so they're okay. Yeah. But then this is where the rift begins to happen. And after some arguments, Alberto reveals himself to Julia as the sea monster. And this is such a heartbreaking scene because in this moment, Luca has to make a decision Mm -hmm. and he doesn't understand that his decision does not have to be black or white, but he sees it as either I pretend to be human and I continue going with what I've been doing, or I have to side and become a sea monster and call that out, which is not the truth, but that's a very childlike way of seeing the world is there's only two options. There's nothing else. And so Luca does one of the most heartbreaking things I think we've seen. And basically throws his friend completely under the bus just because he's liking under the bus. he's liking his new human life and he sees the future he can have going to school with julia and yeah. go like learning about the world it was definitely heartbreaking to watch this oh it's so terrible so alberto swims off to the island we find out later and then Julia finds out about Luca as well because she throws water on his face. Yeah. Or his hands. On Meant him. to be his face, but on him. And Luca goes back to the tower. And it's where he learns that Alberto's dad isn't just traveling and letting him be on his own. He abandoned him because he said he's old enough to be on his own. And they're like... Over a year's worth of tick marks. Well, I just love the symbolism of seeing these marks, counting the days. We find out that he stopped counting at some point. Ugh, but we see horrible. these these marks and he had put the Vespa poster over it to hide that, to see something new, to long for something else, to forget about why he's even here in the first place. And I think... To just like stop and think like he was trying to create a different life for himself. He he gave up at some point thinking his dad was going to come back. And he said, okay, well, I am I love this life that a Vespa can give. I'm going to pretend. I'm going to live in this world of make-believe. And Ugh, it's... Poor kid. It's so sad. It's heartbreaking. It's so sad. But Luca says, you know, I'm going to win this for us. I'm going to get us our Vespa and we can go off together. so cut to the next morning (laughs) it is race day luca asks to split up their team and he's going to do everything by himself so he emerges in the scuba suit from the beginning and no one is questioning this no there's there's no oxygen tank attached to it I I honestly think that like nobody cares because they're like I, we don't even know who this kid is. Like if Julia had been in an oxygen or in you a know scuba what? thing, fair. they'd be like, "What are you doing?" But they're like, "We don't know who this kid is. Who cares?" So then, Ercole's little henchman Chichio, 
whom he has covered in olive oil, gets <laughs> bitten up by all the anchovies because, of course, he does. I laughed my ass off. So funny. That. So funny. Because he's going really fast and then all of a sudden just gets bitten by all of these fish. <laughs> it's so funny. It is great. So Fantastic. he's not doing very well. Meanwhile, Luke is just walking along the bottom of the ocean and Julia's doing great. Julia's doing great. Luca walking still beats Ciccio. Then it is time for henchman number two, whose name I don't think I ever wrote down. That's okay. That's okay. Henchman two. But it's pasta eating time. They eat up the bowls of pasta and now it is time for the bike race. And of course, Ericola is leading the way because he has much longer legs than well, all of his competitors. I also just loved as we get ready for the bike race, we see Luca's parents again and they happen to be uh. next to a water station and they're like, okay, you guys are the volunteers. They realize like, oh, water? Okay, we'll be at this station. <laughs> sure, why not? It's so just good. so funny. It's so, it's so th- good. This side story of his parents is so great. So Luca's kicking ass at this bike race. Like for someone that know has known how to ride a bike for approximately a week, he's kicking ass. I will say though, he trained and he trained the right way. They all sat on the trailer yeah. while he like hauled them up. So he had trained with a lot of weight. And if he could do it with time, like he was doing the right thing. So he gets to the very, very top. But. Oh, but it starts raining and he doesn't have a real helmet. He has a colander on his head. Oh, poor baby. So crash. But Alberto to the rescue with a giant umbrella to help cover him. Except it blows away and the whole town sees Alberto turn into a sea monster. Mm, He's trying so hard. He's trying so hard. And Luca's like, you know what? I'm going to stick by my friend. And he goes and helps him up because Ercole has captured Alberto. Dick! Because we haven't even talked about this whole side plot of, oh, here's a reward to catch a sea monster. Stupid side plot. Stupid. Stupid side plot. Unnecessary. Far worse than our parent side plot. Which is the best. The best. But the crescendo in the score as Luca goes to save Alberto literally gave me chills. Like, as this music is building, I'm just like, Oh my gosh. Wow. Well, and we just see again, Luca basically say, to hell with it. Mm-hmm. I care more about my friend than anything else. If we don't get the money, we don't get the money. If we if I lose all of my friendships here, I lose my friendships. I don't care. This matters to me more than anything. And to have the score, to have Luca grab his friend and then just ride like a bat out of hell to get down this little Mm -hmm. hill giant hill is just it's a great scene it is a very good good scene so the boys are about to cross the finish line they see julia stumble they scooch their bike yep sure that's the word i'm gonna go with scooch their bike which apparently crossed the finish line to go help julia yeah i don't yeah giant question mark Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> I also have a giant question mark with the fact that they all won because Luca split up their team. So really, it should have only been Luca who won. Sure. I say sure at a lot at the end of this movie. <laughs> but everyone is seeing the sea monsters and is just like immediately accepting them. Like they get, they're a little apprehensive, but then Massimo goes, Massimo. no guys, that's Alberto and Luca. They are my daughter's friends and they are wonderful fishermen and they are wonderful people and not terrible. Let's not hunt them. And then everybody's like, oh, okay, if Massimo says so, then... Which again kind of like goes into my like made up theory that like Massimo's life is in Porto Rosso. Yeah. It's not that like he wanted to get divorced. It's not that like they had any issues. It's that like his life was here and you can see how much influence he has over the entire town in this scene. And Mm -hmm. it just is a very, very nice moment of love. It's super nice. of, Of father love. Fatherly love protecting these boys whom he has been looking after. Yeah. And he's really the father that Alberto needed in his life. Oh, so sweet. But everyone accepts the existence of sea monsters and their ability to transform into humans super quickly. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Okay. But then we have the parents come and they're like, oh my gosh, you raced your butt off. I'm so proud of you, but I'm so mad at you. And it's like, yeah, you know what? You can be both, parents. You can be both. I love this ending. You do have to really kind of suspend any critical oh, yeah. thinking of it, but a I love lot, it. A lot. But they buy their Vespa. It's adorable. And now it is time for Julia to go back to school. I can't. I can't. This scene, both times I I've can't. seen this movie, has made me cry so oh, yeah. much. So Alberto has sold their Vespa to buy Luca a train ticket to go to school with Julia in Geneva. And the parents have already packed his bag and... Everyone's on board. Everyone's Everyone on board. agrees this is the right thing for Luca to do. And Alberto is going to stay behind and be oh, with Massimo. God. And I'm Luca just like, is ah! just like, okay, let's go then. Let's do this together. And Alberto's like, I'm not going. Oh, that's when I cry. That is the moment Ugh, that I, I cry. cry. And he is going to stay. And he has his, he has a dad now. He has a dad who cares about him. And as we see, if you have not watched the short Ciao Alberto, highly recommend you watch it. So good. Because it's showing Alberto just trying to fit in and trying to understand this new relationship in his life, this new father in his life, and Massimo accepting him. And it's just like, ugh. I think it's a really good short. It's great. I, because, like, I know we're not talking about it technically, but I'm going to because we are. I, yeah. I just think it's a really good short for representing a modern family mm-hmm. and representing that, like, your father figure does not have to be your actual biological dad. And that's okay. In fact, you can have a great relationship and you can still have trust and you can have love and you can have everything in that and i just i think it's a very good representation of of something that's very modern agreed but the the movie ends with sweet little luca waving goodbye to alberto 
as it is raining and they both turn into sea monsters. <sighs> so precious. Well, and to get from Cinque Terre, you have to take this train. And so, like, to travel between all of the different villages, there's five, Cinque, um, you have to take this train. And so it was so reminiscent of being there. And when you leave, you go on these trains and you go through this tunnel and everything. And it's 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 very real. It's very real to actually being in that area. And then we get our credits, which I love the credits so much so good and we also get a post-credit scene we do we do so we get to see that every everything's good with luca as he goes to school he fits in people really like him we get to see that like they're watching the moon landing again it puts us what time period this is actually happening Mm -hmm. but our post-credit scene (laughs) so silly it's Uncle Ugo and Rebellious Goatfish. I don't and think it's Rebellious Goatfish. I think it's Lost Goatfish. Oh, I totally thought it was Giuseppe. Oh, okay. The one it who kept trying kept to scooch away. away. I thought it was one who kind of just got lost and then was like, how do I get out of this situation? Oh, I thought it was, oh, I have made a grave error <laughs> in judgment. Let me go back. I like that. I like that okay. idea more. <laughs> but little goatfish, he's learning about life deep the whale under the sea with the whale carcass and is like, yoink, out of here. <laughs> but then that is our, our movie of Luca. That is our movie. It is delightful. I, uh, It's so sweet. It's so wholesome. It is. And the, and and the music. And the music. And the music and the animation it's just it's it's a gorgeous movie yeah i i absolutely love this i am very interested to see what happens at the academy awards i think encanto's got it but i think that this actually rewatching this right now i felt very strongly about this movie i yeah i don't know they're both very very different movies yeah uh, is tough competition this year. I think it's very tough, but they can we give we'll them see. like can we give them like a little like boost because we get at the very end made from the living rooms in, around oh. Emeryville, California, and I think that deserves a boost that this movie so was cute. made from people's houses. This was made from people's closets. This was made in their slippers. This was mm-hmm. made at mm-hmm. home. This is a COVID movie through and through, and yeah. I personally think that deserves a little bit of credit. That's incredible. A hundred percent. We'll we'll find out in a month. Stay tuned. Yes. (laughs) Another thing you should stay tuned for is our next episode. Whoa. Before we get to our next episode, can I acknowledge (laughs) just wine or something? Please do acknowledge the wine. I'm sorry. You know me. I like segues. (laughs) Great wine. There you go. Thank you. you. Segway. Very Italian. No, I really enjoyed this, this delightful Italian wine. I really um, want some like pizza or pasta mm-hmm, right now mm-hmm. to really like I could taste it. I can feel how this would complement a really good red sauce. It's it's just it's so unique, very different than any other wine we've ever had. I said that earlier, but I'm mm-hmm. just going to reiterate that and I'm I I've thoroughly enjoyed drinking it while recording. I have too. I've I've had quite a bit. Same. Um, so same, same, now same. you're allowed to segue. Go ahead. Okay, and now segue. I'm allowed to segue. So whew, 
I've thought long and hard about this next pick. I'm not quite ready to leave Italy. And there are not a lot of Disney movies that take place in Italy. Can I guess? Sure. Are you going to have us do the Lizzie McGuire movie? Yes! (laughs) (laughs) Can I tell you that last week, I debated between Lizzie McGuire and Luca. I was sitting there back and forth in my head, like, do I want to do Lizzie McGuire movie or do, because I really wanted to do the Lizzie McGuire movie, but I was like, I have no tie and I have no segue. This makes no sense. Here's my, here's the segue. The segue is we're staying in Italy. We're going to talk about the Lizzie McGuire movie, a, a piece of my childhood burned into my brain in the best way possible and i'm so excited i am beyond and, excited oh ooh, ooh, so good <laughs> oh my god yes <laughs> i love this pick with every ounce of my heart again i was debating picking that for this so i i'm so happy that you did this our roman um, holiday this is our roman holiday <laughs> You know, a lot of people had that, you know, we had Gregory Peck, but now, but now (laughs) we instead have the Lizzie McGuire movie and I'm so excited. I cannot wait for our next episode. I cannot wait to go to Disneyland with you. Oh my gosh. And now I can't wait to cheers the end of this episode. Rachel. The happiest. The happiest. The hardiest. Cheers in Italian. Cheers. Cheers, everybody. Bye. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to Disney Rewind. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, and many other platforms where podcasts are found. Connect with us on social media by visiting at Disney Rewind on Instagram and on Facebook.com slash Disney Rewind for some fun content and moments mentioned on this episode. Join us over on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Disney Rewind, and receive bonus episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and more behind-the-scenes content. For more information about us and our podcast, check out DisneyRewind.com. That is D-I-S-N-E-Y-R-E-W-I-N-E-D.com. Cheers! Cheers.